We are delighted that this episode of Starts at the Top is sponsored by Avato CRM Solutions. Avato CRM Solutions designs and delivers award-winning customer service, business process outsourcing, and digital and intelligent automation solutions of some of the world's most respected brands, as well as innovative charity and public sector clients. They partner with clients to help them define their customer experience and transformation strategies by implementing the right technology, people and processes to improve their customer journey while driving new efficiencies and helping them prepare for the future. To find out more about how Avato CRM solutions could help an organization like yours and to receive a free no obligation chat, visit avato.co.uk forward slash Wales Air Ambulance. This is a culture that allows violence to exist. And, you know, it's, it's not just about those incidents of violence, of sexual assault. It's about everything else that is allowing it to, to happen. Welcome to a brand new episode of Starts at the Top, our podcast about digital leadership and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. We were delighted and privileged to speak to a very exciting guest today, Soma Sara, author and founder of Everyone's Invited. Paul, what did you think of this conversation? Well, where do I begin? I think um, it's probably the most nervous I've been for any conversation that we've had on the podcast. Uh, what, why was that? Just out of interest. Um, well, I think the I think the content. I think um, you, you go behind the scenes a bit. You sent me a message when we were reading the book, saying, "You know, you okay? How are you? How are you finding this?" And um, I think my response was something along the lines of, "Well, it's not a massive surprise. I think I'm fairly well read. I watch lots of." TV and documentaries and films and things like that. And, you know, I've got my eyes pretty much wide open. But still, by the time I got to the book, I, by, by, by the time I got to the end of the book, um, my eyes were well and truly open. And I think we had a discussion straight after the episode about what happens next. Um, and I found myself uh, evangelizing the book quite a lot over the past couple of weeks. Um, I've given a copy to a client of mine and I've urged somebody that I work with who's working on a, a big EDI project at the moment to get a copy of the book. Um, but all of that added up to a bit of nervousness around it, especially as the sort of the um, the obvious male in, in the room as part of the discussion. I think um, a lot of this is about male toxicity, toxic masculinity, and... I guess there was a part of me that was reading it and feeling not defensive, um, maybe defensive. I don't know. But it was all adding up to making me quite nervous. But the conversation was fantastic and summer was absolutely a breath of fresh air. How did you feel? 
Absolutely. I think she really is a breath of fresh air. And I was so happy that we were able to get her on the podcast. Uh, for anyone who might be new to her work, you'll certainly have come across Everyone's Invited before. You might remember they absolutely exploded in the media in summer 2020. Uh, it's essentially an anti-rape movement organisation, which uh, began when they provided a forum for survivors focused on schools to share their experiences. And I think that uh, they've gone to, from strength to strength since. I mean, obviously, Summer's gone on to be widely venerated, quite rightly, for the work that she's doing. And in the interview itself, she talks about the impact it's had, for example, on how Ofsted uh, now assess schools, which is just a fantastic achievement to have. So I'm really, really delighted that we managed to get some time with her to find out a bit more about the story so far and where everyone's invited goes from here. And also why everyone's invited as a symptom of a wider culture that leaders really need to be aware of and what actions they need to take in order to deal with misogyny in the workplace and wider society. Yeah, and I think I think that was part of uh, the, the, the challenge I felt going into this was, you know, we opened the podcast by saying it's a podcast about digital leadership and change. And there's not much digital in this apart from setting up of a website. And there's some really good stuff on social media and um, how young people are living their lives through their phones, which has been a, a focus of mine for a, a good few months, but it's really, really shone a light on, on that aspect of things. But yeah, why this podcast and why, uh, summer and I think we we sort of had that conversation at the end didn't we about where this sits for leaders now and I think what I was really shocked about looking at the uh, examples on the not the examples on the website but on the every, everyone's invited website where they um, share the, the testimonies from schools and they mention all the schools that are uh, included or have been included where testimony has been come from and what's particularly shocking about that list is that it starts with hundreds of infant schools. And you suddenly get to the point where you think, what, why is this relevant for leaders? Well, within organizations, we asked her about this, but within organizations, businesses, whatever sector, I think leaders have to think that this has happened or something like this has happened in their workplace, is happening or will happen and therefore, I think it becomes an essential part of every leader's toolkit, if you like, for how to, to sort of how to lead in, 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 the t in 2023 and beyond. Um, I think it's that important, uh, hence giving copies to clients and thinking about well, how do I do more of that? Can I buy some copies and donate them to our local school? How would that go down uh, in, a, in a school that, you know, might not be expecting 10 copies of everyone's invited, but should probably put it in their library. So it sparked a whole bunch of questions for me, but I think that's why, you know, if anyone's wondering why are you and Zoe talking about this on, on your digital leadership podcast, well, that's exactly why I think it's, I think it's essential that leaders really do think about this. Exactly. And we all know from our conversations with, each other and you know the work that uh, we do uh, advising organizations that 
we do not live in an equal society. We absolutely live at a time when there is so much more work to do in order to create more inclusive spaces. And that includes workplaces as well. And that's why leaders need to know about this stuff. Yeah. And I think the the book will be more than food for thought for any leader that's got questions about this. So uh, I would urge uh, we will include links to to the book uh, and where to buy it online. But I would urge anyone anyone I'm working with is going to hear about it. But I would urge any other leaders that listen to this conversation and, and have that interest to go and pick up a copy of the book and and uh, you know really absorb it. And we'd love to hear what our listeners think of this episode. We know there is a lot of quite heavy stuff uh, to uh, think through um, from this interview, some stuff that really needs to be heard, though. And we encourage you to get in touch with us and let us know what you think of our conversation with Summer and, of course, the book as well. So now for our conversation with Summer. If we haven't been clear up to this point, please be aware that although there are no specific examples shared, the following conversation includes mentions of sexual assault and rape and may be triggering. So please do proceed with caution. We'll be including a link to some resources that could help you at the end of this interview and also in the show notes as well. In June 2020, Summer Sara founded Everyone's Invited, an anti-rape movement organisation which allows survivors of rape culture to share their stories through testimonies anonymously on their website and Instagram profile. Summer has been included in British Vogue's Vogue 25, won the 2021 Harper's Bazaar Activist of the Year Award and was included in the BBC 100 Global List of Inspiring and Influential Women of 2021. She has also written for The Times, The Telegraph, The iPaper, Tortoise Media and The Daily Express. Soma, welcome to Starts at the Top. We are so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited and I really appreciate it. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. We can't wait to hear more um, about the book as we go through the conversation today. So can we begin at the beginning? So obviously you've been through this really phenomenal several years since Everyone's Invited was was started. So can you take us back to the beginning, to that moment when you decided to set up Everyone's Invited? Yes, so it was back in June 2020 and I was finishing up university and completing my English degree at UCL. And it was um, during lockdown actually and I was finishing my finals and it was all online. And um, I'd been having a lot of discussions and conversations with close friends and um, we just began to realize how many of us had experienced sexual violence and harassment and abuse and misogyny and sexism um, in our teenage years and how this was such a formative and important time. I think, you know, in any young person's life, you're growing, you're learning, you're developing. And... I think those experiences were very, you know, they were very debilitating. And I think there was a lot of shame and a lot of stigma. And it was really hard to articulate them and speak out or even kind of recognize them at, 
as you know for what they were at the time it was because it was so normalized and it was happening so often and um I yeah I think it was kind of we had to have that time and um you know getting to uni and kind of reflection and looking back and realizing wow this is actually not okay this is not normal this is not okay and how you know like questioning why that was normal and yeah so I think it, it it came with like age and maturity and I guess having a moment to really uh pause which was kind of in lockdown as well um and yeah so it was yeah, that realization and then I guess maybe anger and frustration and you know feeling um you know that yeah feeling like it was really challenging and traumatic to go through and um you know having a sense of just wanting to to talk about it and um and that's what I did. I, I shared my story on Instagram and I shared some of my experiences and I, I spoke to this kind of idea of a culture, uh, a rape culture where thoughts, attitudes and beliefs in society have the effect of normalizing and trivializing sexual violence. So I know rape culture as a term might sound a little bit scary or intimidating or extreme to some people because I, obviously the word rape is invoking um violence and it's taboo and you know it's really stigmatized but what it's actually saying is you know this is a culture that allows violence to exist and you know it's it's not just about those incidents of violence of sexual assault it's about everything else that is allowing it to to happen so it's the behaviors the attitudes the way we treat each other the objectification the media um the language that we use um you know what we're listening to what we're watching what we're consuming um the way that women and, and girls are portrayed in film and in the media um the way that you know girls are treated and spoken about um and then that's also bleeding into the behaviors and how we're treating each other and dehumanization and then you know sexual harassment and stalking and cat you know it, it goes on and on so it's kind of this incremental culture where everything is connected and, and there are these gateway behaviors um and and then it's also the victim blaming and the you know lack of volition to believe survivors when they speak out and the invalidation of their stories and it's the enabling and people doing nothing um that creates this you know this culture um that allows rape to happen. Um, and unfortunately, the, this is not rare. It happens all the time. It's one in three. And, you know, the, the statistics and the facts of, of, I guess, the reality of the situation is staggering once you confront it. So I think it's quite challenging for people to really, sorry, I've, I've come going on such a tangent, but um, yeah, so I guess I've really segued from the original question. But um, I shared this story and a lot of people resonated with it, a lot of my communities and my peers, and they started sharing theirs with me. Everything you said really resonates with me, Summer. And I think what was really brutal and very necessary about your book and also the amazing work that you've done is just as you were talking there and from your book too made me really think about how those first years when you are starting to go out into the world as a teenager are really formative time aren't they 
And then if violence becomes really normalized and embedded in those first experiences of relationships, that's kind of horrifying, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it just kind of contributes to a cycle, you know, cycles of violence and that kind of, um, I guess, standard being accepted as the normal. And, you know, it, it becomes you know difficult to challenge because you don't have an understanding of something that's healthy or, um, you know, a, a loving and equal and healthy dynamic within relationships. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think it just, it, again, it perpetuates those cycles of abuse. And um, I also think experiencing that those kind of things so young, you know, it's an incredibly vulnerable and formative time. Your kind of brain is developing, your body, you know, you're, you're changing, you're growing, and you're so young. And, you know, it, the research shows that trauma stays with you and it can really impact the trajectory of your life especially childhood trauma it can kind of transform your brain chemistry and you know you develop you can develop really severe mental health uh, mental health disorders and anxiety and depression and PTSD and and this really impacts um your life in you know it's not something that just goes away it's something that you kind of have to learn to live with um and that's i guess what i'm really what i was really trying to convey in the book is and also obviously with platforming these stories it's all about showing flipping the script and and platforming the survivor perspective and platforming that these things that happen really can destroy people's lives and really have an impact on them for years to come, whether it's, you know, being unable to, you know, finish school, pass your GCSEs, flunking out of university, you know, falling into addiction, falling into crime, falling into, you know, really bad abusive, toxic relationships. And it's basically, you know, it can lead to, you know, suicide and early death. So it's, it's really this kind of ripple effect that can, you know, it's so, um, I think the impact is is so it's vast and I think it's really important to to emphasize that you're bringing this really important conversation out into the open aren't you and that's what I think is so liberating and so sort of necessary about it because some of the types of conversations that you you talk about on everyone's invited and also through the book as well previously before the incredible work that you you've done i feel like a lot of those conversations happen behind closed doors between women talking to each other and saying oh this this thing happened to me and it it didn't feel right and you know I've, that felt wrong and was it my fault and all those things that we we all go through and that's what i think is so wonderful about the work you've done that you're taking all of this this awful stories that have happened and shining this light on it and saying look this isn't right this needs to change so you launch everyone's invited and obviously that was huge i remember that blowing up it was all over the daily mail every single newspaper it was all over social media what was it like to be at the centre of that? Because obviously I hadn't met you at the time, but it, it looked like a massive media storm. Yeah, I mean, it was totally surreal and um, unexpected. And 
I mean, I could never have imagined that it would have reached that point so quickly and, and exploded in that way and, and I guess unleashed this tidal wave of, of stories, of, of people sharing, of people speaking out and, and talking about these incredibly vulnerable and um, really traumatic in many cases, these, you know, these, in many the worst moment of people's lives in some cases. And I think it was a very, it was a very intense time, very emotional time. But I think it was almost like I felt like this is like, you know, we have been giving this microphone, we've, we've been given this microphone, I, you know, myself and my team, my organization, I, at the time it was just kind of a group of activists and a group of friends, but we've really felt, you know, we've got to make the most of it. We've got to make the most of this opportunity and do our best to platform these stories and showcase, you know, these experiences and shine a light and, and expose rape culture. And to do this with empathy, compassion and understanding. And um, yeah, so I think at the moment it was almost like, I don't have any other choice but to, you know, I, I felt you, something inside you just kind of comes and you're like, this is like, you just have to do it. And I think it really, I think it was, a, it was very stressful. <laughs> it felt like a lot of pressure and, and a huge responsibility. Um, um, but there was a huge amount of support and incredible people just in my own life, supporting me, my team, my family, my friends, but just publicly, widely, you know, the journalists, the media, um, the public was so engaged. And I think, you know, we were kind of in this momentum and being lifted and pushed forward. And I think it just goes to show how important this issue is and how everyone is affected by it. You know, it caused a storm because it is so relatable. I mean, and yeah, and and especially for my generation, I think it really hit home with, you know, young people, people in education, but then obviously their parents as well, who are, um, yeah, I mean, an older generation who have children. And, you know, if I guess in the early days, the conversation was very focused around schools and universities. So it was engaging across, you know, cross generations and, um, and also not just about, you know, parents worrying about their children. It was issues, you know, that affect everyone of all ages. And I think every woman kind of has a story or has something, has something that's they've experienced in life that probably has left them changed and slightly traumatized in some way that is kind of related to misogyny, rape culture, sexism, sexual violence. And... I mean, it's a really sad, devastating reality when you begin to confront the scale and the universal prevalence of sexual violence in society and in the world. I so agree with that. Absolutely. I think everyone does have a story like that. And having finished your incredible book a few days ago, one of the most shocking things about it to me was that it wasn't shocking in the sense that as you say, this sense of violence, this experience of violence is so prevalent, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, that makes me think about, um, you know, something that yesterday I was in a school and 
our, our organization delivers education now. And one of the kind of moments in one of the presentations we do, probably in most of our presentations actually, is we talk about um, the Ofsted report that was triggered after um, Everyone's Invited exploded. They had a national review in schools. And one of the findings is that nine out of 10 girls experience, it, experience unsolicited um, dick pics and cyber flashing. And nine out of 10 girls are victims of sexist um, and misogynistic name calling. And um, and that sexual abuse online and sexual harassment had become totally normalized in schools and that they were universal experiences in schools. And we show this every time to the students. And every single time um, we do, we ask, is anyone surprised by these statistics? And no one puts their hand up. <laughs> ever and that happens every time we go into schools wow. and it just shows like you know mm. this is so normal it is just every day and and then the saddest thing is it's accepted and I think that's what that was that's that is what was really inspiring and like hopeful when you know everyone's invited began picking up as that it was that sense of like you know we're not gonna let this slide anymore this is not okay and it was, it was incredible to have that kind of moment of, I don't know, solidarity and refusal to accept that as normal. Absolutely. I loved seeing some of those photos of students going along to their schools and protesting and holding up these banners saying, we won't be treated like this. I, I, and, you know, there's questions then about the complicity of the school in covering things up in some cases. I, I thought that was fantastic. You, you've put power in the hands of these young people. Um, I mean, we only hope that, you know, we're, we're always, we were so moved during that period when we were seeing that response. It was just incredible to see how many young people kind of took it on, I don't know, like took, took action in their own right and really like... Um, challenged what was happening within their institutions and it was so inspiring to see like 16 15 18 year old girls like having a voice and speaking out and it was just yeah amazing amazing and they were so so brave and um yeah it's it's it was really surreal but um yeah we discussed just before this that i listened to the audio version of the book and I remember walking along listening to the final chapter which is called Backlash which I think you you talk about how the importance of backlash and yes it's hard to be in that but you need it because then you know that you are generating a, a discussion and a conversation that, that needs to happen and there's a point towards the end of the book where I, I don't know if I was reading this if I'd been reading this it would have come across in the same way but you sort of say, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and it layers and layers and layers. And my sort of sense was, my God, how does she, how do they keep going in front of all of this stuff? And it must be exactly that. It's the reaction of the the girls in the schools who are bringing in the placards and the banners and standing up and fighting for it that makes this completely valid and completely um you know, worth continuing with, despite the, the sort of the barrage of backlash and abuse that you must receive day to day. Yeah, de definitely. I think it honestly meant so much at the time, and it still does now when people um, share that it had a positive impact 
on their life and that it changed things because it was a really tough time and it was like very intense and it it, ma- it makes it all feel like so worth it. And, you know, even yesterday after finishing the talk, we have four teenage boys come up to us saying, thank you so much. We really enjoyed that. That was really interesting. I've never thought about things that way. Thank you. You've really like made me think about rethink some of my own experiences and behavior. And that's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you just feel like, wow, like this is so worth it. This is like, um, you know, really, it's very rewarding when, when you get to have those moments. And there were so many moments like that when everything exploded, there were so many messages, so many people sharing, um, so many people coming up to you. And I mean, it's overwhelming, but it, it was just like, it was a lot to take in, but it, it, you just remember, you just, you know, you remember the essence, you remember why you're doing this. And yeah, it feels, it feels like something that is worthwhile and yeah, important. And I think it's easy to forget that when things are getting really challenging and um, a little bit, you know, pretty scary at points. Um, yeah. You're creating a movement. <laughs> yeah well I mean now I hope you know it, things are kind of slowing down in terms of like all the media and stuff but it's really amazing to see um you know off the back of the movement having you know given the opportunity to write the book and now um really growing the organization as a charity um has been a way to kind of I guess extend and preserve that work and continue doing the work um, in a more structured way. So I I hope that that will become the legacy of that moment. And we've talked about the the book. So for anyone who doesn't know about the book, can you tell them a bit more about why you wrote it? Yeah, so it is, um, I wrote it, I mean, I guess, because of everything that happened with everyone's invited and the kind of media explosion and the big um and you know the uh testimonies being shared and i think i just really wanted to grapple with um the the experience of what happened and also this culture this rape culture i really wanted to interrogate it i really wanted to understand it i wanted to break it down and i wanted to try and you know see if i could find some solutions find some hope and i also really wanted to write something that was accessible and universal and that you know anyone could pick up and you know understand these ideas and um so yeah, it's it's essentially a collection of essays and um, lots of different things are covered. We're talking about pornography and the impact of the mainstream of mainstreaming of hardcore pornography on young people and young people's understanding of sex and relationships. Talking also about gender scripts, masculinity and femininity stereotypes, how that really impacts um, gender norms and how we treat each other. And there's lots on intersectionality and, um, kind of experiences of sexual violence and sexism that are layered by different, you know, things like racism and, um, you know, understanding how people have unique experiences of rape culture, depending on their identities and who they are. Um, and then I talk about the backlash as well. I have a long chapter breaking it all down and really focusing on that. Um, and yeah, there's, um, a lot about, um, 
digital sexual violence and image-based sexual abuse and harassment. So thinking about the digital world and the digital landscape and thinking about how um, yeah, trying to bridge those generational gaps and help an older generation understand what it's like to come of age in this time, in this era. And, you know, so it's so we can hopefully educate them in properly and meaningfully supporting their children and young people um, because it's a very different way of growing up. Um, I haven't read it in a while, but I hope I was that gonna... was an okay summary. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because one of the one of the things that I sort of took away from it, so I've got two boys and my immediate thought was I've got a 14-year-old boy who I want to read the book, but I know him. And he won't. So I need to find a way of getting that content to him, sitting down and talking to him, thinking it through. But you really do make the point, and I think it's well made, um, about asking parents to set up, step up to the plate. And obviously, you know, there are other influences in, in their lives at that age, uh, not just us, but the, the role of parenting is really, really quite clear to me. Um, and you're talking to two people in me and Zoe who are probably fairly well-placed, he says, to really try and get to the bottom of what that experience of growing up in this um, online, offline world. I mean, it's we experience it still probably as two things. There's an offline world and there's an online world, and we can see where they blend. But for a young person today, those two things are so interconnected that even Zoe and I would struggle to be able to relate to our kids in the same way that they are experiencing this. So the, 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 I don't know what the question is here, but there is a point that if, if we are in a privileged position to be able to understand that and to be able to navigate that, how do we and how does this uh, content get to those parents who don't have that same thought process? And I equate it to simple things. Like I've always, I've, I'm a gamer. And I've always played video games. And when I hear that like a 14-year-old child is being given Call of Duty, which is an 18-rated game, for example, it's usually because the parents haven't invested the time to understand what it is they are actually putting in the hands of their children. And that's the gap for me, I think, is how do, how do we bridge that gap between how do we get that, the, the, the sort of the ideas and the content in front of those parents and, and well, all of us, but, you know, those parents in particular. I think it's always going to be challenging, but, I mean, even just doing this podcast today, just talking about it as much as possible, bringing it up, having these discussions is a way to kind of start to engage people. And I think we have to be careful and thoughtful about the language and the tone and the way that we're kind of approaching these things. And I think, I mean... To some, it is a polar. It can, it, it's a controversial issue, and some people react quite strongly in a negative way. And I think we have to be mindful of that. And I think we're living in such polarized, kind of really kind of chaotic, um, reactionary times where there often isn't space for dialogue anymore. And in in many issues and. There's a lot of emotion, a lot of anger. People are easily triggered. And I think sometimes we're unable to kind of think rationally, think logically, because we're so emotional. Um, and I think it's about, I don't know, trying, you know, 
being aware of that, being conscious of that, making space for that and trying to approach these conversations in a non kind of combative, aggressive way without shame, questioning, asking, making sure everyone has an opportunity to kind of say what they think and you know, that you're actually listening to them and, and giving them, you know, that moment to, to speak. Because I think everyone just, at the end of the day, everyone wants to be seen and they want to be heard and they want to be respected. And we have to, you know, just come come to these con- really challenging conversations um, from a compassionate and an empathetic place. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely easier, easier said than done. It's really hard. Um I'm really interested in doing more research and learning more about um, kind of nonviolent communication and like, and also the idea of I've recently heard about compassionate activism. So thinking about things like how can we, and I touch on this in the book, how do we build these bridges and, you know, reunite and kind of have these conversations. Like it's so sad to me that we're living in a time where, we literally would rather not have them than engage or even interact with people who disagree with us on many issues. And I'm just like, how did we get here? It feels even less, you know, it feels like incredibly intolerant and reductive and one dimensional and um, yeah, very harmful and toxic in many cases. And I really hope we can, yeah, build on, listening and sharing and actually um, having constructive dialogues that are getting somewhere. And um, yeah, but it's, it's really, it's much easier said than done. And a lot of people who do activism, who do activist work, who are championing um, causes that, you know, they're coming from a place of trauma and harm and pain. And a lot of, you know, it's really, you know, if you're being challenged and attacked, of course, as like a, a traumatized individual, I think a human, very human response is to shout and attack back and be really easily triggered. I think, sadly, a lot of the people doing, you know, engaged in activism in the Vogue sector, violence against women and girls, in survivor sector, are have not, you know, they're still traumatized and they haven't done their healing. And sometimes, and in many cases, traumatized people can actually be, you know, quite harmful and can perpetuate harm. So that's why healing is so essential to everyone involved. But um, it's really hard. It's really hard to navigate and to deal with. So what can leaders do about this in the workplace? Because we've talked about how this culture is so pervasive, isn't it? So in the workplace, what would you like leaders to to do in order to really combat this kind of culture? I think we have to, you know, there are a lot of things that can happen, but, you know, basic is just actually making space for survivors and or people with these experiences or um you know people who have experienced harm in the workplace toxic behavior um hurt pain you know giving them spaces and an opportunity to to vocalize and articulate what's going on and to take concerns and issues seriously and really respect that space um and um yeah i think it's just so important to kind of 
you've got to set, I guess, within any organization, it has to be a kind of whole organization culture, which comes from the top and needs to go to the very bottom. And I guess it's about setting values, setting the tone, um, and really paying attention to that and prioritizing that and, um, you know, making sure that you have people who are in positions of power who embody, you know, positive values of empathy and compassion and understanding and respect. And, um, you know, that and also I think giving everyone a voice and, and an opportunity to vocalize how they're feeling about, you know, any of these situations is really important as well. Um, and yeah, education obviously is so important. I mean, there are so many specialist organizations out there, including Everyone's Invited, that deliver education um, around these issues, um, cultures of sexual violence, misogyny, sexism. And um, it's really crucial that, you know, everyone is getting an, a basic understanding of how this can occur um whether it's kind of breaking down and understanding and tackling rape myths in society prejudice gender stereotypes um you know it's it's so important and reading stories survivor stories again empathy building um trying to you know uh endeavoring to understand people's experiences that might kind of differ or jar to your own kind of perception of reality and understanding that your reality isn't the only reality, that life is so nuanced and complex and we're all coming from different places and backgrounds and experiences. And, you know, we, we, we're different and that's okay. And yeah, so I think that was a very much a kind of long tangent, but hopefully that, that helps um, a little bit. It does it does help. And are you starting to see demand from organizations and businesses? Um, yeah, so we've looking started for these doing resources as well as schools. Yeah, so I think we're seeing more of that now and it's just still in early days, but we've started doing some work in organizations and charities. Um and yeah, so that's been really exciting and um it's so important because, you know, as we said from the very start, from which, which I really try and drive home in the book, is that this is a universal problem. I mean, it's happening in schools, but it's not just happening in schools. It's just one section of society. It's everywhere. You know, if 56 MPs are being accused of sexual misconduct, and that's a standard that's being set at the very, very top, then, you know, please do not be surprised, you know, if this is happening in you know every corner whether it's in policing in the criminal justice system in the education sector um you know this is it's widespread it's a it's a universal culture yeah. i think that's such a great point powerfully made somewhere and is there something here a kind of a barrier almost that you see leaders head teachers you know whatever form they may take to go through in order to just acknowledging the fact that this stuff does happen and there is a chance that it could happen on your watch and you need to confront the fact that this is happening in some form in, in so many places and you have to accept that and do what you can to safeguard against it happening. I think that is such a important point that, you know, that it is that kind of confrontation and acceptance of 
that this is like real and happening and happens. And I think it's actually hard for a lot of people. And I think that, you know, can often be the barrier, people being unwilling to accept their own kind of part in, in enabling this culture to exist. And I think that's why many people are so disturbed by the term rape culture, because they view rape as this really, you know, obviously it's horrific and painful, but they, their idea of rape is something that is, um, you know, very one-dimensional and can only happen in a dark alleyway by a stranger in the middle of the night and um, by a monster. And actually those kind of, that kind of envisioning of, of rape, that, that rape script is, is serving to compartmentalize and separate yourself from from the reality of, you know, we are all actually complicit and part of this culture together. And that, you know, if we don't challenge this in our daily lives, whether it's through challenging misogyny, challenging sexism, challenging misogynistic language, um, you know, we are contributing to a rape culture that allows the worst kinds of sexual violence and assault and rape to continue to exist and thrive, that we're all a part of it and we're all responsible. We're all in it. We're all responsible for this culture. We've been socialized in patriarchy, in, you know, a system and, we need to understand that, it, you know, it's almost, it's subconscious, it's internalized. We have a lot of internalized misogyny. We need to unravel that, unpick that and do all of all that we can to challenge, challenge this in, in our day-to-day lives. I think it is really hard for people to come to terms with that and to, to, yeah, to accept that reality that they are part of this, they're responsible, because, but we all are. And yeah, it's, it's mm. definitely challenging. I think the um, you almost have to go that step further as a leader, don't you, and just make the assumption, like you said, you stood in a room full of school children and you've asked whether this is surprising to anyone and nobody puts their hands up. So as a leader, perhaps you almost need to take that step further and say, look, I just assume that it's happening and therefore this is what we are doing, to recognise that before you you know, God forbid, before you get the report from somebody that says that this has happened. So, you know, my immediate reaction was to go out and buy 10 copies of the book and sort of distribute them to organisations that I work with, not in a judgmental way, but just in a sort of a, that read this, read this and, and, and absorb it. And then let's have a conversation about how you see this being approached in your organisation. Because um, it really is that that obvious to me i guess that that that's a step that you should take as a leader to have read the book i don't think it's scaremongering i think the way you frame it in the book someone is really sensible because i was talking about this subject to someone else and i was saying well if you're going to an event it's just a standard thing that you would have a fire safety briefing and that people would say well the fire exits are over there we accept that bad things can happen in that context. Why can't we accept that if you are running a huge event with hundreds of people coming, the chances are that something like this may happen and therefore you need to think ahead and plan ahead for how you can prevent that happening and also protect the survivors when things like that do happen as as well. So it seems to me that it's a very sensible thing to think through. Yeah, and I mean it is. I think if you if you look at the statistics and the reality and the reports and the like endless research that's been done for the past like decades, 
you know, it's really not an unreasonable thing to really prioritize this area and, you know, accept the reality of, of this and, and, you know, take action to address this, as you say, in that kind of context. Um, and, I mean, it's really interesting that you use that example of fire exits because I think that's just shows, you know, it's culture that's culturally accepted as a norm. And I think culture change is possible. Like, you know, we we made it normal to put our seatbelt on every time we get into a car or now we don't smoke in public spaces. And it's like, you know, it's possible. Um, it just takes time and effort and, um, you know, backlash is inevitable and it's difficult, I think. Um, but I, I truly think that, you know, it's doable to, to make this and and it's already happening. I mean, in schools for the one, you know, the first thing I think it's generally now, and I think the offset review really emboldened this and, and it really gave what we were saying credibility and, and it basically confirmed kind of our work, but, um, it's told, you know, all schools across the country, across the UK, that they have to address this and take this seriously. And if they don't, they're not going to pass it off in their review. Um, so I think, you know, it's a huge, that's, that's made a huge difference. And, um, we're seeing that across all the schools that we go into in our education programs. Now, this is really prioritized and really taken seriously. And it's really high up on the agenda and and they have to, it has to be now. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can see that moving, you know, further into different sectors and different organizations, different parts of societies in business, um, and yeah, it's really am- amazing to see um, this change happening. And I think it's not just, you know, everyone's invited. It's, you know, this whole area being being looked at in art and film and culture and music. And I think more and more victims and survivors are having the confidence and the courage and the freedom to um, speak out and articulate what they've been through and achieve a sense of catharsis and an avenue for healing and there is community and solidarity in sharing your story and I think that's what the testimonies and people who've been part of our community have 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 shown us that you know I think yeah that that you're not alone and um you should never be ashamed of what you've been through and that there's always um there's hope for the future and you know change is possible it's incredibly validating to share those stories, isn't it? And to have people listen. And I think that's one of the wonderful things that you've provided with everyone's invited, because then it has that ripple effect of encouraging more conversations, doesn't it? And um, there were some things that I shared with with Paul and some other people last year. And I found that so helpful just to see the way that people react especially how men reacted to it and how shocked they were and that in itself really helped me process the experience it did help with some of the really horrible after effects from what 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 had happened so you're creating this kind of chain effect of of change somewhere which is wonderful you know that's something that so many you know countless people who we've spoken to you know, they also feel that and express that, you know, being able to articulate their experience has really been so essential to their ability to process what they've been through and then, you know, get to a place where they can, you know, begin that healing journey. And, um, 
obviously it's a really it can be challenging it can be triggering it'd be really hard but um it's like the beginning of you know getting to a place where they can feel happy and safe and alive and joyous once more so I'm very grateful and I feel like it's been a really incredible privilege to have been part of you know you know to to have been doing work that is making you know change like that in people's lives and um yeah I'm I'm so proud of my whole team and 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 everyone everyone's invited who was involved it was really kind of like a, a huge, like a village uh, probably a town of people um working behind the scenes and I think yeah it's just been amazing to be a part of that and obviously everyone's invited is now registered as a charity so congratulations it's super exciting what are your plans for it thank you so much um I guess now we are very much focused on um, prevention and maintaining, preserving the safe space, healing. Um, but our area, I think, is more around prevention and looking, exploring solutions, um, conducting research, partnering with academics, um, looking at our testimonies, and um, yeah, just basically doing everything that we can to um, continue this work, continue giving survivors a voice and a space to share, and also, um, you know, intervening early and um, helping create a change amongst young people within you know in young minds and education and um yeah and just continuing that work and keeping up that momentum and really focusing on the eradication and focusing on the solutions um and yeah it's a it's a it's a really probably a long-term job and quite you know it our our mission statement is to expose and eradicate rape culture with empathy compassion and understanding and i think that's quite an ambitious mission statement and i think it could probably could take decades it could take hundreds of years um but i'm so inspired by my team and by the incredible people that we get to engage with and especially especially the young people um young people in schools are just the most passionate and interested and engaged and really inspiring. Um, and I think we learn the most from them. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations, Soma, on the book and everyone's invited becoming a charity and also all the fantastic work you've done. Um, where can people go to find out more about the book and also the charity? So the book can be bought in like bookstores, Waterstones, Amazon, Simon and Schuster website. Um, and the paperback is out next week, which is very exciting. Um, and the website, everyonesinvited.uk, um, Instagram, everyone's invited, Twitter is EI Movement, and yeah, just Googling everyone's invited, and I guess all of our links will come up. Um, and please log on, join our community read the stories, share your story if you feel comfortable. Um, we have some incredible resources on our Instagram and a lot of support um, and a, a really comprehensive support page on our website as well that really details um, the amazing, a list of really amazing organizations out there providing direct 
support to survivors who need it. Um, and there's lots there for everyone, male survivors, female survivors, LGBTQ survivors, um, survivors of colour and um, guides more about, you know, specific for parents, um, young people. So there's, a, you know, really a huge mix and diverse mix there. So please do check it out if you if you need support. There's tons of great resources there. So we'll make sure that we link to the site in the show notes. Salma, thank you so much. It's been super inspiring to talk to you. We are so in awe of everything you've done and we are so excited about everything you're going to go on and do as well. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really a pleasure to be here and I really appreciate all your questions and I really enjoyed it. So thank you. And thank you for spreading for spreading the word and for platforming my book and having me on. I really appreciate that. You're so welcome. And I was just so going welcome. to um, suggest that uh, people buy the book in bulk as well and distribute it to their friends. And um, that, that would seem like a good thing to do. And in the workplace as well, Paul. I think you're onto something with getting multiple copies and sharing them around the workplace. I think it's a great idea. If you've got a workplace book club, as quite a few workplaces do, why not put this book on the list? Yeah, yeah. And I was suggesting to the person I sent it to, actually, that um, within lots of organisations now have EDI networks. Does the EDI, EDI network have recommended reading lists, a library, something like that? Um, you know, it should be added, um, definitely. Uh, and I'm going to petition to get it added into the um, the school wow. as well. The kids, thank the, you so much. Are going to go to the same school, so I'm going to send them a note um, saying that it ought to it ought to be in the library. Amazing, thank you. It's so a great much. idea, Paul. Let's know how you get on with that. Thank you so much to Soma for her time, her openness and that incredible discussion about what leaders need to do about misogyny in the workplace and wider society. If you have been affected by anything that you've heard, there are links and resources on the Everyone's Invited website that will direct you to help, including the Report Abuse in Education helpline. And the page that you're looking for is everyonesinvited.uk forward slash help forward slash find help. And we'll include that link in the show notes. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter where it starts at the top one. And you can also email us at starttothetop at gmail.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you get your podcasts, you can rate and review. Please do. All your reviews help us to reach more listeners. And we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks. See you then. Thank you very much. Bye.